welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. Why don't you just let him know you're thankful that his goodness never stops pursuing you? Is there anybody grateful this morning to know you serve a good God and his goodness is chasing you? Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And uh, the presence of the Lord is in this place. And uh, we're so grateful that you've joined us on this Memorial Day weekend on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, 1 through 8. And I was just, uh, I was thinking this morning uh, how we're, we're truly blessed to, to know and experience the power of the Holy Ghost. And... Uh, you know, there's an indictment that can be made by some, perhaps, who have not experienced this precious gift. Uh, that Pentecostalism is about hype. Um, but I don't think it's about hype. I think it's about hope. I think it's because we know we have a hope in Jesus. And we can experience that. Has anybody experienced the hope of Jesus Christ in this room? Amen. Amen. God is so good. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive. Everybody shout alive. alive. To them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How many is thankful for that power this morning? Amen. I want to preach for just a little while on this subject, more than a memorial. 
more than a memorial. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house, to gather together as the body of Christ. We're so grateful for what we've already felt in this place. But God, I believe you want to do a work in this house. I pray that your word would go forth and not return void, but accomplish whatsoever you desire to accomplish in this house. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers, to be active participants of the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. Would you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise this morning? You can be seated in Jesus' name. So one of my, one of my favorite places recently to visit is Washington, D.C. Uh, there's, there's something really cool about just walking around in Georgetown and uh, going to my favorite coffee spot there by the Capitol called Ebenezer's and getting a lavender latte. I just That's just my happy place right now. I don't know why. Hey, don't judge me. Some of y'all like to hang out in the woods, okay? I don't pick on you for that. It's all right. Now, I was, I was in my 20s the first time I went to our nation's capital. And um, I'll never forget taking a tour at night of the monuments. And uh, if you've never been, you got to go and check it out. It's it's free, and but you you go and it's you're so humbled by the size, and you're humbled by what it represents. The not just the size, but the significance of those monuments. And so we visited where there's monuments recognizing different wars that have been fought for our country, and we took the long ascent up. Uh, the steep stairs to visit the Lincoln Memorial. And make sure you bring your inhaler if you do that. Amen. And uh, it, it was rather humbling when we went to Arlington Cemetery. And you observe just this, the perfect symmetry of the headstones that were serving as the final resting place by so many that had served and given their lives for this great country. And so... I believe there are some things worth remembering. That's why Memorial Day is it's, it's necessary for us because it's inserted to give us a space, a designated time for intentional reflection and remembrance. So it's, it's not just that I get a day off of work. You know, it's not just grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. It, it's about remembering those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and gave their life so that you and I can be here this morning. How many is thankful for that sacrifice this morning? Amen. Amen. We're, we're grateful today for that freedom. And so I believe that certainly there are places and events and people that are worth our time to remember. And yet a memorial is something that we remember that has passed. You don't often memorialize the present. And my fear is that if we aren't careful, we can observe Pentecost Sunday as something we merely remember. As if it was just a moment in history. And so for many, the day of Pentecost stands as a memorial for the birth of the church. It's something that should be honored, but not something we should involve ourselves with. But I've come to remind us this morning 
that Pentecost Sunday is not an event to remember. Pentecost Sunday is an opportunity for participation. See, we, we've not gathered this morning to remember just a day in history. We have gathered to participate in the greatest miracle mankind has ever or will ever know. And if you've walked in this morning with the gift of the Holy Ghost, there ought to be an appreciation that wells up inside of you that goes beyond a mere memorial because the Spirit of the living God resides in you. Which is, which is why Paul wrote in Romans 6, and starting in verse 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, everybody say the Holy Ghost, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him, everybody shout the Holy Ghost, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. That's why I can say this ain't about hype, but it's about hope. Because if you've been baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, ain't no grave going to hold your body down. If you've been filled with the spirit of Almighty God, you can walk in confidence knowing one of these days I'm getting up out of the grave come on if you're thankful for that hope this morning why don't you let Jesus know give him a shout of praise in this house and so too often the day of Pentecost is honored as the starting place instead of being recognized as the beginning middle and end for the people of God Pentecost is merely meant to remember, some say, but it is no longer relevant. If I could use this analogy, the Holy Ghost, I feel, is the engine of the church. So when I look at a car, it can still look like a car, even if the engine's missing. So if your vehicle doesn't have an engine, you can shut the hood... Climb in the driver's seat and give the impression that you, you are getting ready for a drive. But unless the vehicle has an engine, you aren't going anywhere. And I believe the same principle applies to the church in 2023. Just like a car can look like a car on the outside, a church can look like a church from the outside. It can have a sign by the road, a cross on the building, pews in the sanctuary, and yet, without the Holy Ghost, it's not going to go very far. So Peter said it like this, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
But if we aren't careful, we can live as if Peter said, this was that. He didn't say was. He said is. He said this is just the beginning. And so, so often people believe that the day of Pentecost was a one-time event. Well, that was really cool. That's, that's a cool story in the book of Acts. And they read the account of this great outpouring. And they acknowledge that it happened, but it only happened for them. We don't need that now. You don't need to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. If we aren't careful, we can allow this mindset of memorialism to hijack our expectation for participation. But I want to declare this morning in the Holy Ghost, Pentecost was not a moment to be memorialized, but rather a movement to be modeled. That's what it was. That's why Peter could say, for the promise is unto you, but not just you. See, if it was just for one moment, the promise would be for you. But it was for you and your children and as many that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I know it's Memorial Weekend and perhaps we're kind of getting in vacation mode at at the end of the school year, but I've not come this morning to remember Pentecost. I've come this morning to experience Pentecost. Because this is an, an invitation to experience the life-altering gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, if you're thankful that God has given you the Holy Ghost, why don't you just clap your hands? Come on and give Him some praise. If you've been filled with that precious gift, why don't you let heaven know and let hell know while you're at it they've been defeated because you've been filled with the Spirit of the living God. So our opening text, it it comes from the book of Acts. And for those who might be unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it's important for you to know that this is just a brief history of the early church. It, It begins in Acts 1 with the final words and ascension of Jesus. And it follows the disciples as they embark on their missional journey to be the church. But before they can be the church, they need to receive His Spirit. And that, that's where we begin this morning. The church is about to be born through the Spirit of God. And Acts 1 and 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. Now, I've got to admit, I've read this scripture often, many times. Whenever I read this verse, my mind would just immediately go to the upper room, and to what they were doing. Acts 1 and 14 tells us what they were doing. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. See, prayer, they went to the upper room and tarried in unity and in prayer. So naturally, my attention is focused 
on the what? How many knows Pentecost only comes through prayer? That's why it's so important we develop a prayer life, both individually and corporately as the body, because Scripture reveals that Pentecostal power only comes after Pentecostal prayer. Amen? And yet, as I was working through these verses, my mind shifted from the what and went to the where, which was Jerusalem. Now, in Luke 24, the words of Jesus remind us this. It says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. Somebody shout, stay put. Jesus said, I want you to return to Jerusalem, and when you get into the city, I need you to stay there I need you to remain for as long as it takes. I'm not giving you a period of time. I'm giving you a promise. Now, one, one translation states like this, Acts 1 and 4. It says, as they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised. And as I considered the language of the text, I wondered why Jesus would have to use such strong language like command or order. This was not a suggestion. This was a commandment. So in order to obtain the promise, they had to stay in the place. So to us living 2,000 years later, Jerusalem, we, that's a sacred site. It's a place of reverence. It serves as a memorial, if you will. But for the disciples gathering together in an upper room, they were just a little over 40 days from watching their rabbi and savior brutally die on a Roman cross after the Jewish leaders falsely accused them. Let that register for a minute. Jer Jerusalem was not a friendly place for the followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this about Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. In fact, we see in Acts 4 and 5, the followers of Jesus are arrested. Acts 7 records the first Martyr in the stoning of Stephen. And then Acts chapter 8 and 1 says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. In spite of the Jewish hate and the Roman cruelty, Scripture ordered them. Says he ordered them to stay in Jerusalem. Stay anyway. So I reflected on this verse and I'm praying and I just realized that these words from Jesus are so important. Because he wasn't just giving them a random spot for a prayer meeting. He was commanding them to abide in a place of pain. And so this group understood they were walking into a city that they were not welcomed in. Perhaps... As they walked toward the city entrance, maybe they passed where 
Jesus had been crucified. Maybe they encountered the same Roman soldiers who participated in the mockery and abuse and murder of Jesus. Of course, the text does not bear out the inner dialogue and these emotions as they return to this city responsible for the greatest heartbreak of their lives. And, and this was the place that Jesus said, I want you to go to the city and I want you to stay there until. So essentially, Jesus says, I know what happened in Jerusalem. I understand the danger that still remains. But before I pour out my power, you need to revisit a place of hurt. Let me say it like this. The promise of the power was contingent upon their patience in the pain. And I just feel this morning that somebody in this room has been avoiding Jerusalem for far too long. You can't revisit that city. You can't revisit those memories. You won't scratch the surface of that hurt. And because you have avoided a place of pain, you have forfeited the Father's promise of power. I hear an invitation going forward this morning that says, Stay in the city until you be endued with power from on high. The power doesn't come from you, your talent, your skill, whatever you bring to the table, that's wonderful, but the power of the Holy Ghost comes from on high. And this means you have to make up in your mind, the promise is greater than the pain. And once you determine that the promise is greater than the pain, you will develop a tenacity that says, I'm not leaving until the power falls. It might not be easy. You may have to revisit a place you've avoided. And you might have to wait a little while in that pain. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But when you desire the promise of the power, when you say, God, I'll wait as long as it takes, but one thing I know for sure, I am not leaving this place until the power of God falls on my life. Don't you dare let the cares of this world pull you away from an altar of transformation. Don't you dare let plans and distractions devalue the importance of His power. But stay in the city until you receive power. Until, until, until. I don't know who needs to hear this morning, but somebody needs to get a Jacob spirit that says, I don't care how long it takes. I'll wrestle all night if I have to But I am not letting go I am not leaving my location Until the Spirit of God Changes me forever Come on, if you believe the power of God still changes Why don't you clap your hands unto Jesus Yes I won't quit until my cup runneth over 
Don't just wait until you get bored. Wait until the power comes. Just remember, Jesus appeared to 500 people, but only 120 were in the upper room. So don't wait until the crowd leaves. Wait until the power falls. Amen. Acts 1, 6 through 7. So when they heard they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's what's interesting. The disciples assumed that the promise equaled prominence. They thought, okay, okay, okay. You want us to go to Jerusalem, the city that hates our guts. But you're going to pour out your spirit. Okay, okay. So this must be the time where we get earthly power. And what happened was they started to politicize the promise. And so for the disciples, their question about restoring the kingdom to Israel was directly connected to the rule of Rome over the Jews. Jesus, is it time for you to come and make all things right in our world? Is it time for the oppression and inequality to end? Is it time to vote Caesar out of power? And we can't miss this. Jesus' words about the promise invoked a sense of expectation about how their world should be. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. In other words, you are worrying about something you have no control over. The Holy Spirit's arrival did not mean Roman authority was over. It simply meant that they had power to remain witnesses in that harsh authority. Now how often do we assume that the Spirit's present automatically means that we get what we want politically? Now I, I, I get it here. I can read the room. I know as Christian Americans we don't like to think about that. And I'm still going to pray for our leaders and I'm still going to participate in elections and, and, and all that good stuff. We got to do it. We have scripture reminding us here that his promise is not automatically connected to the world's politics. So I refuse to let CNN, Fox News, New, Newsmax, MSNBC, the far right, the far left, anything in between cause me to lose focus on the fact that his spirit is present and active among us today. So instead of asking, is it time for the restoration of Israel? Or perhaps more applicable, is it time for our party to be in charge? Why don't we worry about, let, let, let God worry about the times and the seasons and allow ourselves to become focused on being witnesses of the promises of God? I think that's what scripture says. I think that's what we find here. Finally, in verse 1 and 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Gordon Fee, a Pentecostal scholar who recently passed away, he wrote a commentary on Acts and he writes this about verse 8. 
instead of the political power which had been the object of their ambitions, a power far greater and nobler would be theirs. They would be vested with heavenly power. See, everyone wants power. But usually the type of power we want derives from a place of selfishness. I want to be in control. I want to make the decisions. I want you to listen to me. But Holy Ghost power is different. As a believer, Scripture tells us we can do mighty works by the Spirit in the name of Jesus. But it isn't just about what God can do through us. It's also about what God is doing to others. Because after we receive the power, verse 8 shows us the purpose of the power. You're going to be my witnesses. You'll leave Jerusalem and you'll impact Judea and Samaria. You'll go to places you never thought was possible. The power is what makes this possible. It's the Spirit of God that will open doors of opportunity for us to connect with hurting people. It's the Spirit. It's His Spirit that causes the co-worker to start asking questions about why you act different and talk different and dress different. Why you go to church so much during the week. It's the Spirit that is causing them to ask questions. It's the Spirit that causes that family member to call up and, and meal around on the phone. Meanwhile, they're building up the courage to ask if they can go to church with you. Or maybe you could have dinner and talk about the gospel of Jesus. It's the Spirit that does that. His spirit will connect us with people that need hope. If our musicians can come, I'm going to close if we'll stand together this morning. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. I know we've read it already. Let's read it once more. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues. Let's stop right there. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And scripture says, we know that they received the Holy Ghost. Because they speak with, spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's how they knew. And as I said earlier, this is not a memorial. This is a movement. And so this promise is for us. The same expectations of Holy Ghost reception. That's for us as well. We remember today that great moment. The church was born through the Spirit. But if it started in the Spirit, it's got to continue in the Spirit. And that's why Paul said, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you, are you now being perfected by the, the flesh? You can't, you can't fool ourselves. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that our spiritual journey can be accomplished outside of the Spirit of God. We've got to have His Spirit driving us. Because at the end of the day, we can be as good and try as hard as we want to. But it doesn't mean anything unless we have the Spirit. God is not looking for good people. He's looking for Spirit-filled people. A whole lot of atheists 
atheists are good people. People that don't believe in God or confused about God. They can be good people, have good morals, be ethically sound. But if they don't have the Spirit of God, unless you're born again of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not about working for your heavenly entrance. It's about faith and responding in faith to the Spirit of God. You've listened this morning and you've never had that wonderful experience. I've got great news for you. If you want it, you can have it. You can. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to take a class on it. You don't have to have all the various theological details for what it's about. Because in Acts 2, when they spill out into from the upper room into the streets and they become witnesses, people start asking questions. First they start accusing and then when they see what's happening, they start asking questions and they say, what must we do? To be saved. How can we be involved in this? Then Peter said unto them. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Ask forgiveness. You're not going to be perfect. But you're striving. Be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. That's us, folks. We're a part of that promise. That's for us. God's desire is for each and every person in this place to receive a small taste of the kingdom of heaven. And this only occurs when His Spirit contacts our heart as heaven touches earth. God's Spirit is a gift. It is a free gift. There's nothing that I can offer that will make me more or less qualified to receive it. Psalm 51 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The only thing that I can offer is my brokenness with a submitted spirit. So on this Sunday morning, I want to open up these altars and give each and every person in this place a chance to experience the greatest gift we could ever know. I don't know if you come here and you're needing the Holy Ghost, please come. If you've already got the Holy Ghost but you want refilled, please come. If you want to pray with somebody in faith, please come. But I want on this Pentecost Sunday morning for us to understand this is more than a memorial, but this is a movement that is to be modeled by the church in 2023. So I open up these altars and I invite you for just a little while, why don't you come this morning? Why don't you come with hands lifted and hearts open as you begin to respond this morning? We thank you, Jesus, for the promise of the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for what we feel all across this building. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your spirit that you allow us to participate in. In 
In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let's make this a place of prayer. Wherever you're at, let's make this a place of prayer. Hallelujah.